Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. Bet UK is just two weeks away. Are you ready to join 30,000 attendees, 600 plus exhibitors on seven content stages from 120 countries and see Louis Theroux, Dame Darcy Bustle, Jason Arday, Laurel Carner, Baroness Luella Benjamin, Dan Fitzpatrick, Mr. PICT and so much more. I might need to bring my trainers. The best part? Educators go free. Get your ticket now at uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR. 2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. Yes, good morning and welcome to the Sunday Social. And we are here today. Um, I'm really excited because we have um, British here um, to talk to us about um, all hands up. Um, and other stuff that we're going to speak about uh, today, um, including other stuff to do with uh, pedagogy and classroom practice. Um, now, Pritish, uh, can you just quickly tell us a bit about your background and experience in education? Yes. Hi there. Thanks for having me on, first of all. Can you hear me clearly? Is that is that all working well? Yeah, it's working fine. Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. So I have, this is my now my 10th year of teaching. Um, so I started, I came into teaching through Teach First um, and I was at a school in East London for a few years, then moved to a school in Wembley for a few years. And most recently, so in September 22, I joined my current school, which is Arc Zone Academy. Um, my role at the moment is I'm the head of science there and I'm also assistant principal for teaching and learning. Um, and it's a school that it's a startup school. So the school opened three years ago. We've only got year seven, eight and nine at the moment. Um, and that has kind of led to me having kind of a strong interest in how you grow a school, how you develop culture in a school, um, how you ensure that not only behavior and systems are in place to help for excellent kind of giving an excellent education to kids, but also pedagogically, how can you make sure that the classroom runs really smoothly? So um that's kind of a bit about my journey in teaching so far fantastic thank you i i as as i've said before i'm really excited about this conversation obviously um yourself uh being 
running one of the best science departments in the country. Um, you had a progress rate of over two, if I'm not mistaken, which is is, is fantastic to have you on. Um, now, the main topic of conversation today, obviously, is all hands up in education. It's caused quite a stir in, in on, on Twitter um, recently uh, when you posted a video about uh, three weeks ago, I believe. And it was your classroom and they were all having their hands up. But we're also going to be dis discussing today behaviour in classrooms, development of school culture, as you spoke about, um, the role of form time, um, classroom observations and feedback and just general school topics. Um, and, and I am really, really excited about this. Now, I'm going to go on to our first topic, which is all hands up in education. So um, just to quickly introduce the topic, for those people that don't know that are listening today, all hands up is the idea that um, when you're gonna when you ask your class a question, every student in that class puts their hand up, ready, actively engaged to answer that question. Now, um, obviously, as a practitioner's on a practitioner's point of view, it's fantastic because you can see that everyone's engaged. Uh, but it has caused the question: Is it any different to no hands up? Um, compared to all hands up and what is the idea behind it so British just tell us what's the idea behind having having all hands up yes so the way I like to explain all hands up is by kind of comparing it to the more traditional approach which I have read quite a lot about um, and heard about from other schools and other teachers doing in their classrooms and so the more traditional approach to cold calling is having kind of insisting that no one puts their hand up in the classroom and the teachers will put a question out there and you expect that there are no hands that go up and then the teacher can randomly pick anyone because no one's got their hands up um, to answer the particular question that they had posed. And the thinking behind that, there's a lot of good thinking behind that strategy. I think the, the main gist of the idea there is in lots of classrooms, certainly in my classroom when I first started teaching, there'd be a couple of three, four, maybe five kids in a class who would always have their hand up and would kind of demand the teacher's attention and dominate the, the conversation. And as it's particularly when I was when I was new to teaching, I was just so tempted to always go to the students who had their hands up because, well, they're the ones who want to participate. So why not let them participate? And so kind of my default thinking at the, at the time was you just pick the kids with their hands up. Um, and that's great because they're getting involved, then they answer the question and the lesson moves on. You feel good because the kids look like they're making progress. The kids who are contributing look good because they're happy. The kids who didn't really want to participate are good because are happy because they didn't they didn't want to participate and didn't need to participate. And then so I think that is I think it's quite a common problem in classrooms and lots of teachers get the feedback which says, oh, so what you need to do actually is make sure that anyone can answer a question because otherwise the, the culture and the classroom is being dominated by a few pupils and so i get why a response to that one response might be you insist that all hands remain down and because all hands are down suddenly everyone feels like they could be picked and there's a bit more accountability in the room there's a bit more of a chance for some of the quieter kids to have their voices heard in the room as well so the, the principles behind all hands down cold calling make a lot of sense but if we were to think about what that looks like in the classroom and contrast it to imagine a classroom where the teacher expects every hand to go up and when a teacher asks the question what you see visibly in the room is boom all the hands go up there's 32 hands up in the air 
and the teacher's like oh this is amazing every hand is up let me go to omar uh and then everyone else has hands go back down and then the teacher asks another question and all hands go up again and just the difference in energy that you can imagine in that classroom is going to be so much more palpable it's going to look visibly like to everyone in that room that oh everyone's participating and if you have a few kids who perhaps were a bit more reluctant to participate that just the sheer culture of the room where everyone looks like they want to participate everyone is putting their hand up they think i might as well give it a go because everyone else is giving it a go so what all hands up cold calling does is it shifts the the norm in the room from oh nobody looks like they want to participate to everybody looks like they want to participate everybody's putting their hand up and it means that the culture becomes i might as well give it a go um initially and over time when you then reinforce that with praise and you're asking the kinds of questions that lead to the children feeling really successful suddenly rather than with all hands down cold calling where the culture might be oh i i could be picked we want the culture to be i want to be picked and i'm going to signal that by the hands by, by my hand going up straight um and the teacher can see and narrate that look everyone wants to be picked here this is incredible so for me the big difference between all hands down cold calling and all hands up cold calling is culture and it's all about culture it's about what it feels like to be in that room it's about making participation really joyful um i also think just not letting the kids who really want to put their hands up did express that kind of enthusiasm um it's a bit of a shame to kind of not have that enthusiasm and i think letting them put in their hands up encouraging those hands up is incredible um so that's the kind of headlines as to why i think it's such a powerful strategy okay thank you very much for that um just for the listeners here if you have any questions that you want to ask pritish um just post them in in this um conversation and we could bring them up but i just wanted to say um yeah so i i personally never been in a classroom that uses all hands up um so i don't want to sound like you know when people just say oh this doesn't work or this is terrible but they haven't tried it out themselves i don't want to be a hypocrite here i like um the idea that you said about the students having enthusiasm um the students sorry that do have enthusiasm still getting that chance to put their hand up that's kind of an angle i never thought about it from um i'm going to be honest i have been a bit of a skeptic about the all hands up because it's it's been hard for me to kind of see the difference between having all hands up and no hands up in terms of cold calling but when you say from the perspective of active participation and 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 I feel like as a teacher the feeling must be great because you've got all the hands shooting up straight away i can see the positives to this now um phil beadle and others on twitter have said that children in the clip you posted aren't safe what is your response to that <laughs> that's a good question um yeah when i saw that i think my first thought was that it kind of speaks to i mean i don't know because to be honest i my honest answer is i don't know because i don't know what he meant by it and he didn't respond when i kind of posed kind of my response to it but i guess my interpretation of what he said was kind of it suggests perhaps that as a country maybe as a group of educators we're so used to there being disruption and we're so used to pupils not participating that when you see a classroom full of pupils because when i posted that video it was me in my classroom and i asked a question and every single hand up in the room went up um 
that was perhaps so novel perhaps it was so shocking i don't know i mean i i'm i'm not you know the the critics that that said this but my interpretation of it was that that was so unusual for people to see that people thought there must be something more sinister going on or something uh you know the language used around that video was kind of it was very controlling or gosh this looks very i don't know oppressive and all these kinds of extreme words um but if you speak to any of our visitors that came if you speak to any of our teachers um that teach at arcsone academy and we have you know we have um we've had a fair few visitors uh, over the last couple of years they will say the first thing they'll say to you is wow there's real warmth and joy in the classrooms and that's because the kids aren't you know no one, we're not forcing kids to put their hand you can't i can't you saw me in the video clip there's no way i can force a child to put their hand up they're doing it because that's what the culture is and this is how powerful the culture is so what i would say to kind of the critics of that clip is you know we need to expect more from our pupils we got to be able to expect the adults in the room to lead the learning and we got to expect that we can hold people's to account for their participation but also so that's the kind of at one end there's a sense of accountability where i want everyone to be participating but also you're creating a culture where participating is joyful and it's a wonderful thing um one of the things i'm most proud of at arctown academy actually is uh, we not only with, with answering questions do we have um, a real culture of participation but even with things like reading aloud um, we all use booklets in various subjects we do inform time we do class readers and one of the things that always um, is blows me away every time i go and observe lessons is the pupils who put their hands up to volunteer to read are often the ones who are most shy uh, often the ones who you might think are most anxious I have got kids who have stammers and stutters or have speech delays and their hands are constantly flying up volunteering to read um when we're reading from the booklets or or, or the class readers that we're reading and I always you know something I always tell the staff in my school is whenever you see things that make you go wow you know don't think wow ask how how is this possible what's the culture that's meant kids you would expect perhaps in other places not to volunteer to read or answer questions why are they doing that here at sown uh, where that might not have been your experience previously so if you use that mantra of don't think wow ask how you start to unpick why that is and the reason is because the kids feel so safe in the school and in the classroom that they feel like the thing that they're perhaps very vulnerable about which is if a kid has a stammer they're not going to want to read in front of other people's, but they do at own because they know that a the culture of the school, the behaviour is so strong that there's no one else is going to laugh at them for stammering or stuttering. If anything, there's going to be encouragement. Um, and second of all, the teacher they know is going to help them finish off any sentences they struggle with, but also and most importantly, praise them when they do. And so when they finish reading a sentence, you might it's not uncommon for teachers to go, "Oh, what beautifully read paragraph! Merit for you, so and so." Um, what wonderful reading. Or if they struggled, oh, I know you found that a bit tricky. Let's try that word together as a class. I say, you say, uh, whatever the word is, I don't know, photosynthesis, and everyone says it together. Great. Oh, I struggled with that word as well when I first read it, so I'm not surprised you did too, but really, really great um, uh, reading from you there. Well done. Merit for you. And that, all those things together, means that we have a culture where the kids feel safe and secure enough that they try where they will give it a go, where even if they think they're going to get the answer wrong, they're going to participate. 
And I think that's the kind of culture that all schools should aspire to have. I would want my children to go to a school where they felt safe and secure enough to participate every single time because giving it a go is so important. Um, being praised for giving it a go is really important. It's not about getting it right every single time. Everyone's in school because they're learning, they're gonna make mistakes, but are you then listening to that feedback? Did you give it a go? Are you giving it your best shot? That is the culture we're aiming for. And I think that that's what I would want kind of all schools to be like. And I think, I don't think many people would disagree with that. So I think when it comes to being safe in the classroom, I think this is what safety in the classroom ultimately looks like. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, sorry. Omar, we're starting to get some questions coming in and some thoughts as well. Um, if you've got a question, you can um, use the bottom right speech bubble um, to ask your question and we'll pin them to a top so Omar, our host, can read. Um, one of those questions is from Miss Banda, which is how did you go about rolling out all hands up and other strategies with the department? Yeah, it's a really great question. Um, so rolling something out like this uh, requires there to be, I think there has to be well, I guess my advice would be different depending on your context, because I think context is very important to consider here. So the context of Arc Zone is that we're at the moment, we're quite a small school. We started rolling all hands up uh, last year where we had two year groups um, and we did some whole staff training on it. We discussed the difference between all hands down and all hands up cold calling. Um, and we painted the picture a bit like I did at the start of this show. Uh, where we discussed what classrooms look like that are where all hands are down and all hands are up. Um, we then talked about um, how we're going to introduce this to the pupils. So we said, uh, and it has to, it's not just, there has to be a bigger framework around it. It's not just, you can't just go into the classroom and say, right, I'm going to expect all hands up. It only makes sense to have all hands up for questions that all kids can actually answer or give it a go to. So if I ask a really tricky question, but I haven't really as a very thinking kind of question, I'm, I'm not going to get all hands up. And even now, I wouldn't expect all hands up for every question in my classroom. So, so if that's, that becomes the first consideration to train teachers in, which is uh, in, in your school or your department, which is what kinds of questions are you planning into your lesson that all pupils you would expect to have the answer to? Um, and that's where the idea of checks for listening come into it. So we then introduce the idea of what a check for listening is, uh, which is a really simple question where people just essentially repeat something that you've said moments earlier. And the expectation is that because people are listening, the, you are, that check allows them to show you that they are listening. So an example would be um, something like, I don't, let's say if I'm carrying on with photosynthesis, I might say, so uh, plants carry out photosynthesis uh, in the chloroplasts of their cells. Which part of the cells does photosynthesis happen in? All hands up. And that kind of question you would expect, you know, every single pupil to be able to answer. And so we tied the, the, the kind of question that you need to ask with the strategy. And then we said to staff, this is how you go about narrating it. So you, you might say something when you first introduce it, you might say, right, I'm going to be asking you a few questions and I expect every hand to go up. Every single person needs to participate uh, when I ask these questions. Uh, show me that you're listening. I'm going to be most impressed if arms are super straight uh, and you're projecting your answer really well, for example. 
Um, and then it's all about the narration and the encouragement. And so if you only have half the hands go up, you're like, come on, I've got half the hands up already. This is incredible. I need to see the other half contributing as well. Um, and initially it's difficult because if the, you're shifting a culture, it's not easy. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, luckily, as a school, we were in a position where a few teachers were already doing this and it just became more about making it consistent. But if you're in a school where this isn't the norm, I think what you then need to do is it, you need to have a kind of points where you're reflecting and discussing what the barriers are to people's putting their hands up. Um, and there's lots of things that and, and, and one of the reasons I think this strategy is so wonderful is it's it's quite revealing of what the culture is like in the school or in a particular class or in a particular year group. Because if you're doing lots as a teacher and hands still aren't going up, then suddenly you're revealing a problem which you may not have noticed before. So with all hands down cold calling, there might be kids just getting away with not really trying and it might be take you a while to pick up. Whereas the, the, the clever thing about all hands up cold calling is it visually, it's like magic dust you sprinkle over a classroom. Suddenly you can see who's, despite you kind of removing all the friction, you're asking an easy question, you're requesting all hands to go up. There's already loads of kids putting their hands up. So the culture's starting to change. And there's still three kids who aren't putting their hand up. Suddenly, you now know who you need to speak to at break time and try and investigate. Oh, what's stopping you from putting your hand up? It was a real shame I didn't see your hand up. Is everything okay? What's going on? And you can start to investigate. And that might reveal to you something important about those three pupils, let's say, that, and you've got that data really quickly. You've got that information. These three kids don't want to participate. What's going on? Why? Is it just that they're not paying attention? Is it that there's something going on which means they need a bit more support to participate and they're just maybe really nervous about it. I don't know. Whatever it might be, you now have the power to investigate. And so I think it's one that will take time because there might be new things that, that are unearthed. It might be that they think, oh, other kids laugh when I get the answer wrong. And therefore it makes you realise, oh my gosh, maybe there's a culture in this classroom where um, some kids have been getting things wrong and other kids have been laughing and I as the teacher haven't picked up on it yet. I need to go away and now address this and do something to make the classroom culture and the cult build a culture of error, as Doug Lamov calls it, um, in my classroom as well. And so that's, that's another reason why I think this strategy is so powerful, um, somewhat ironically, at making classrooms safer, because it allows you to unearth problems that perhaps were flying under the radar or, or, or they're certainly revealed sooner because you can see visibly who isn't participating. So depending on where your school's at, there might be different layers and levels of how much work you need to do to start implementing this in your school. Um, those are the kind of, I guess, my, my headlines around that, that question. Um, and then it's just about reinforcing it with feedback. So pop into each other's lessons and, you know, see how the teacher's narrating it, see how the kids are responding to it. And, and there might be specific things in the room that you might realize teachers need feedback on to, to push them to the next steps. Those would be my, my main bits of advice for that. Thank you very much. Now, I just wanted to say that this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing um, professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324. That was JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance 
your own professional development today. Happy reading. Now, just on what we were saying there, uh, I'm, I'm going to take from what you just said. I don't want to spend too much longer on this, but there is a few things that kind of came to my head. Um, obviously, the worst case for, for scenario for a teacher uh, that's just kind of asked a question to a random person. I mean, a no, I'm talking about no hands up or hands up. You know, I've, I've picked a random student. I've asked them to ask, answer this question and they've said, what was the question? Yeah, that's possibly one of the worst case scenarios because like, OK, I'm checking for listening. These students or this student in particular was not listening. Um, and I think an argument that a lot of people are thinking, uh, people are saying this is unsafe. I think the way you just painted that image, it does seem really, a really safe environment. And it's, it, it's about being reflective as a teacher and, and being trying to build up that classroom culture. That's kind of what I've got from what you were saying. Um, so. My, my my question kind of develops into this because I think a lot of people when they think of the idea that all students have their hands up is kind of all students have been forced to have their hand up and I feel like this is where um, a lot of people are kind of um, seeing this in a, in a negative way but my question is what happens to students that let's say are just outright being defiant in that particular situation so you've asked for all hands up um, there's some students that just happen to be a bit lazy they don't want to put all their they don't want to put their hands up along with the rest of the class. What happens in that scenario? Uh, it's a good question. Um, this is where I think the culture of the school becomes quite important, and that's what I was saying earlier about you. Then have to investigate and dig into why someone's not putting their hand up. In my experience um, at Sohn, this doesn't act, this doesn't happen. Like the kids do put their hands up. Some kids might need a nudge and a reminder, particularly, you know, if they're, if you can tell, some of them are just a bit sleepy, especially first day back after the holidays. Some of them have been going to bed at, you know, Lord knows what time in the morning, and therefore they're a bit sluggish. Um, but with just a nudge, come on, and you see your hands up, every hand is going up. Um, so I don't, we don't really get a case where someone just doesn't ever put their hand up. That just doesn't happen. And I think that speaks to a lot of things, which is the idea of culture. Most kids do want to participate. And if the culture is right, they will want to participate. If you reinforce getting answers right with lots of warm praise, kids love feeling successful. So they will participate. And you can see it in the way the kids put their hands up as well. So sometimes you can say the way you narrate things can make a big difference. If I say, um, even if it's kind of not the trickiest question in the world, we say, this one's a bit trickier than the one I've asked before. I wonder who's going to get this. And then you frame the question. Not only would you see hands go up, but they'll you'll see people trying to reach for the ceiling because they really want to show if it's a tricky one, I can do it. And that speaks again to the culture in the room. It speaks to the sense that we know all peoples, because all human beings think feel the same way is if we're set a challenge, we quite like to rise to that challenge. Um, and so if a kid if there were kids that weren't participating, like I said before, you need to then speak to those kids individually and find out what's going on. Because um, there might, it might just be that they're being lazy, as you said, and they're not participating, in which case they need to be held to account. Because if there is a kid who is, you know, being, quote, lazy, uh, they're just choosing not to participate, then I would be letting them down if I allowed them to not participate. It's my duty as a teacher to ensure all of my students are making the most of the lesson when they are in my classroom. And I would expect the same of any member of staff at SOAN to do the same. And so 
that idea of accountability is hugely important because if you don't hold those people to account for participating, they're not going to get as much out of the lesson and therefore they won't learn as much. And if they're not going to learn as much, then they're going to be, they're not going to, they're not going to succeed. They're not going to do the thing we need them to be doing in that room in that time, which is to, to learn. Um, and so whatever the school system is for holding kids to account in that way, you need to follow that system, whatever that, that might be in your school, whether that's speaking to the pupil and that form tutor, um, seeing if there's any other issues, calling home, speaking to the families, discussing this idea of participating in lessons. At the end of the day, you want, you know, when kids come to school, you want them participating because participating allows them to learn. And I think that as teachers, as adults in the room, we have to be unafraid of them saying, if they're not doing that, we're going to hold them to account. I think in the short term, it might, if that means that the kids feels a bit, uh, they don't like being held to account, then so be it. But in the long term, that's going to be the thing that transforms their future. That's going to be the thing that allows them to succeed in that subject at school. Um, and then they'll be part of the culture that everyone else in that room is part of, which is we're participating, we're enjoying, we're learning. And that should be the goal in, in, in all classrooms. Thank you. Um, Anthony, uh, who's, who's commented on this post, if I can find it, has made a fantastic comment. He said, um, conversely, forcing, um, forced to keep their hands down, which is, yeah, I guess the other side of it is if I'm telling all students to keep their hands down, in a way, I'm also forcing those students to keep their hands down as well. So looking at it from the other perspective, I guess that is true. Um, now, my, my last kind of question on this type of topic is how can you tell, and this is just general, I'm just genuinely interested here, how can you tell um, who is simply just um, putting their hands up to kind of fit in? Like, let's say you ask a question, I've heard that, you know, when you finish a question, you kind of, the pitch of the tone kind of goes up a little bit. So I, I've realised you've asked a question, I've seen other people put their hands up, and I just put my hands up as well. But I don't actually know the answer. How can you tell um, when students are doing that and they're not really listening? Uh, that's a really great question. That is where we come, it comes down to the sampling. So there's different means of participation you might use for all hands up questions. So often the kind of questions I use for check for listening, if they're a one word answer, we do at own what's called a call or response. So I say on three, one, two, three, and the class in unison shouts the answer out. It might be respiration, for instance. And you're just looking, seeing as everyone, you're kind of quickly scanning. And if there are one or two kids who aren't saying anything, again, you know that maybe they're not paying attention and then you might investigate further um and if if it's just a a full sentence answer you're expecting so all hands have gone up and then you pick on a pupil um and they are unable to answer it then you need to find out is it because they just for some reason stumbled over the wording or is it they weren't paying any attention at all if it's the case that they weren't paying attention so let's say they say oh i'm not sure and you say you might say something like oh what was the question that i've just asked and it, it, you can very quickly tell because they'll you know, from the look on their face, from what they then say next, that they just weren't attentive in that moment. Then again, it comes down to what is your policy as a school? If a pupil's not paying attention to you as the teacher in that moment, what do you do? Now at SOAN, we have really, our expectation is that the teachers, sorry, the pupils are paying attention to the teachers throughout the lesson. And so if there have been moments where you haven't paid attention, um, we then hold the pupils to account for that. Um, and so there is that, whatever that looks like in your school, there needs to be some sort of accountability. 
because what that then does is it shifts because some some pupils will be in the habit of just not listening and we need to get them into the habit of listening and that's why the praise the warmth the love and the merits come into it but equally the flip side there needs to be some sort of accountability there as well whether that's demerits or um you know coming back to them later or whatever it might look like in your school you need a way of shifting their habits so they become the kind of person that does pay attention because once you shift that habit and they start being attentive and this is a transformation at Sone that we see in our pupils every year in year seven they come in and they start off and their attention's a bit ropey and then within a few days they're so used to being asked loads of questions throughout the lesson that their attention increases and some of them will say oh i'm so much better at paying attention now than i was before um because of the accountability that we have there um and i think that that's really powerful because you can if you change their habits and you develop from year seven you you become the kind of person who can pay attention throughout a lesson that is going to do wonders for your progress uh, in all your subjects um and that's going to be have, have, have a remarkable impact, a cumulative effect over the five years or seven years that you're at that school for as well. Yeah, I think um, that, that's a fantastic point, because if students are paying attention, the more they pay attention, the more they absorb and the more they absorbed, then the better the outcomes. Now, um, it seems like um, in your school you have excellent behaviour. You're asking students to put their hands up or the hands are going up. Um, and and I think um essentially the, the and you've spoken about obviously keep staying positive narrating the positive and um you know showing warmth to the students uh, but some people again they see see all hands up as as like a, a very strict kind of policy although you've explained it really well and and you've explained how it's actually very good to kind of identify students that have fallen behind for whatever reason um and my question to you though is what are effective strategies to manage disruptive behaviour without stifling student expression? I think that it depends what you mean by expression. So I, I think the, the, the beauty of things like checks for listening or hands up is I probably, if you don't do those strategies, I imagine, I, I, I don't know, but I would imagine that I probably ask more questions in 50 minutes than you do if you're not doing that kind of thing. So I would argue that my students get more opportunities than in other classrooms to answer questions and therefore express their thoughts on what they've just heard, articulate what they've just um, understood. Um, you know, I mean, if I, if I was to do a tally, I suppose, I, I if I go into any sewn lesson in any one question, every every single pupil probably gets to answer out loud at least well if we're using call or response where everyone gets to say something every kid will probably answer i don't know like 15 questions a lesson 10 questions a lesson out loud on top of what they write down so there's huge numbers of opportunities for people to to, to share their answers we use turn and talk a lot as well um and you know listeners might want to check out on my blog uh i've uh, my, my latest post is on turn and talk um and that was also in that clip as well you saw so every opportunity every lesson there's 15 or 20 opportunities people might get where they practice their answer um but the other the other thing i would say on 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 that is you know the the, the kids learn so much because that's so we're using direct instruction so i'm really ex i teach them explicitly about lots of things and then get them to think about lots of things with the knowledge that they then get. 
the quality of questions that I get from the pupils is phenomenal. I'm always blown away. In fact, I, I think I put this tweet out recently, but I, I have um, in my year eight class that you saw that, that clip with, one, I've just said to one of the pupils, every time I say, whoa, that was an incredible question, can you just write down at the back of your book what that question is? So she's my little scribe uh, for the incredible questions and that page is filling up. We only started this a few weeks ago um, and the page is already filling up with just the most incredible questions that I get from the kids. And what that shows me is the kids are learning, uh, absorbing lots of knowledge, but they're also understanding it and thinking so hard about it that they're able to ask questions that make me, a subject expert who's been teaching for 10 years, pause and think, oh, how am I going to answer this question? Because it's phenomenal. And I think that is the, in science anyway, that's the ultimate kind of form of expression that I would want from my pupils, which is they're grappling so well with the ideas that they're able to then think and ask a question beyond the curriculum, beyond what I would be expecting to think about, because they're so deeply engaged and they have such a firm knowledge base of the things that I have taught them. So a good example of this would be, um, I, we've, we've taught, about, taught about gravitational fields, so they know that any objects that have mass have a gravitational field around them. And then I said, right, so we've learned about fields before in that context, but now we're gonna learn about magnets. And I started explaining magnetic fields around magnets. And one of the people put their hands up straight away and said, so if something attracts to a magnet, how do we know it's because of the magnetic field and not because of the gravitational field? That, that the reason that, I don't know, a paperclip moves towards a magnet. And that, I've never had that question before. Um, and this, this is year eight, so this is what, like 12 and 13 year olds. I was blown away. I had to pause for a second. I could answer the question, but just, I was kind of gobsmacked that someone had understood these things so deeply that they were able to ask a very scientific question. Um, and I think that shows how incredible the strategies that we've been using are, because it's allowed this deep thinking um, and this expression of this thought that came popped into this student's head and asked, and she had the confidence to ask it in front of the whole class. Uh, and that question was celebrated to reinforce that culture of expressing your thoughts in science, as it were. Um, so I think, if anything, this is this is the ultimate form of, of expression in science, when you teach them well enough and they feel safe enough to ask questions that make you go, this is incredible. Yeah, that's um, that's that's a fantastic um, uh, explanation there because uh, I, in my school we use um, explicit instruction as well, um, explicit direct instruction, and and I do find that sometimes students do ask really good questions. Um, I have so much questions to ask just of that, but I just wanted to quickly go to Tom Rogers, who's asked a question in the comments here. It says, um, I think this is related to the previous uh, item that we was talking about. It says, what is the accountability in terms of attention, listening? What does that look like in, practi uh, in practical terms in the classroom? Yeah, it's a great question. So at SOAN, we have a system of merits and demerits. So when people answer questions correctly, they get a merit. And if they answer, if it was a, I mean, when I say answer incorrectly, we have to be really specific here. If a pupil was not attentive and just that, then they could get a demerit from their teacher um, because they weren't paying attention. And it's the same with anything else. So if a kid is um, I don't know, if the kid whispers over their teacher while the teacher's speaking, they're being inattentive, that would be a demerit. If I ask a simple check for listening question and they don't get it, 
And I'm sure that it's because they weren't attentive. So I, maybe I say to them, so what was the question? They're like, oh, I don't know. Or did you practice that with your partner? And they're like, oh, actually I wasn't. I was talking about something else. That would be a demerit. Um, and then two demerits is a uh, an after school 15 minutes uh, detention or reflection. or We call it reflections in, in our school. Um, and so that is, that's the system of accountability. Um, but it's not just the case where you just say to a people that's a demerit and move on you explain to them look i need you to be paying attention that's going to be a demerit unfortunately if you're not paying attention you're not learning i need you to be in the habit of listening um so we always narrate that it comes from a place of love we, i want you to get better at listening i want you to succeed and therefore um i will hold you to account um now to some people that might seem uh great and they might think wow that's real accountability some people might hear that and think oh my goodness detentions for not listening that's outrageous um but i actually think it's quite rare actually to give give out detentions for that kind of thing because the culture is so quickly established and the praise is so strong and warm and loving that actually attention is very strong at sone um for that reason um but it's there just to catch pupils that might not be particularly attentive in the given time and they are so responsive to it. They, you know, when you then go down in after school to speak to those kids, because that's what we do at Sohn as well. When you give it attention, you go and have a chat with them. Um, they're always able to articulate well why it is that they're there and that they need to be listening more, essentially. And then you see that the next lesson, or even after they get it in the moment, a demerit. Often demerits are a good enough reminder and then they're with you fully. Um, so that's what accountability looks like as well. Bet UK is just two weeks away. Are you ready to join 30,000 attendees, 600 plus exhibitors on seven content stages from 120 countries and see Louis Theroux, Dame Darcy Bustle, Jason Arde, Laurel Carner, Baroness Fluella Benjamin, Dan Fitzpatrick, Mr PICT and so much more. I might need to bring my trainers. The best part? Educators go free. Get your ticket now at uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR. 2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. Um, oh, sorry. I, 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 just, I just thought I'd share this as well. Um, one of my one of one of the teachers in my department has just messaged me she's listening in as well she's like i've had some incredible questions as well from my class and i haven't shared them with you yet 
Um, so it, it's not just in my classroom, it is a, a department-wide thing and a cultural-wide thing where the kids are thinking so hard that they are, they, you know, the, the idea of asking really good questions is, is widespread around the school. Um, and again, that just speaks to the power of culture that a, a school and a department can have. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think obviously in science, traditionally, I find that a lot of students just find science quite tough. Um, maybe because it's kind of a mix between like maths and you have to really understand what, what, what you're learning. So having a class and a school where students are asking really interesting questions in science is fantastic to hear because that's the interest, that's the passion that you want to see as a science teacher and for your in your case as a head of department. Um, I have a question here. Can I just add something there very quickly? Sorry to interrupt. Um, just to make it really clear, if you ask a, a different type of question, so a check for understanding, so you're kind of trying to figure out, do they get it? Can I move on as the teacher? And they get that wrong. That would not be a demerit. That is not something you're holding the kids to account for. And I think that distinction is very important because you want kids to make mistakes in the classroom, but you don't want them to lose attention. And that's the difference between where you hold kids to account and where you don't hold kids to account. You're holding kids account to listen when it comes to understanding, your job there is to make sure that you gather that data and you think, oh, that's so interesting, you got that incorrect, but let's let's dig into that. Uh, that's quite a common mistake, let's fix that together. Um, so mistakes are very much, in, not encouraged, I suppose, but it, you're welcome to make mistakes in the classroom, but you need to be paying attention and we need to support the kids to make attention. Um, and I should also add there as well, is the reason I feel comfortable giving a demerit for someone who's not listening is because I've done a million other things to set them up for success. Our desks are in rows, so the kids are already looking towards me. We use three to one slant, for example. So I've given a really clear signal to them that I need your full attention. This is not a chance for you to carry on writing or you know, carry on discussion with your partner or anything like that. Your attention is on me while I'm speaking. Um, and then I give a really clear explanation. I might use a visual to support me. And then I ask a question and they still get it wrong. I've done so much to support you. The desks are in rows. I've said three to one slant. I've checked everyone's eyes are on me. No one's still writing. I've asked you a listening question, a check for listening question, and you still got that wrong. I've done everything I can to support you. And you've still not answered. You've still not paid attention. And I think it's important to say that because when you hold kids to account, it's important that you've also set them up to succeed. Because if I didn't have all those other things in place, then suddenly attention might not be fully in their control. If they're not facing me or I haven't checked that they've put their pen down and then I ask them a question and then I start giving them a demerit, but I wasn't clear and I, I didn't make it clear they shouldn't still be writing, then of course they're not gonna be listening and that'd be really unfair. So we only ever sanction or give a demerit for something that's entirely within the pupil's control because the teacher has set up the conditions so that they have been set up to succeed and then the accountability is fair and i think that's a really important point to make because it can very easily be misinterpreted um, just just as a follow-up from that um this is just uh, for our listeners here when you say a check for listening question i'm guessing you mean something that's like a simple recall question based on something that you just explained so for example i don't know photosynthesis takes place in the chloroplast um but uh, a check for understanding question, and you ask them, okay, where does where does I don't know photosynthesis take place? But a check for understanding question would be when you want students to think a bit more deeply. So and and there, 
um, in a trick for understanding question, if if they aren't able to access that question, then you're perfectly fine with that. Is that is am I correct in those kind of definitions? Exactly right. Yes. Cool. Perfect. Um, now I have a question here from uh, a user. It's uh, Shako. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Uh, UK or, or Shak UK, and it says. What strategy do you use to track that all pupils have an have had an opportunity to talk or answer? Yeah, that's a really good question. So all teachers at SOAN will have a copy of the seating plan in front of them. And so that seating plan is just a series of kind of quite big boxes that correspond to the tables where the kids are sat. And I just always have that on a clipboard and a pen in hand while I'm teaching, which is just on my desk. And then uh, once someone asks the question correctly, I say, great, merit for you, Omar. And then I put a, a tally on Omar's name. And that, that's quite easy to do because it's, I can literally, it's like a physical copy of the seating plan. Um, it doesn't require any kind of cognitive effort really to note it down or find the kid because it's just, it corresponds to where they're sitting physically in the classroom. Um, so it's just a case of tallying it up and then let's say 10 minutes into the lesson, when all hands are up again, I'm like, let's see who hasn't got a merit yet. Uh, let's go to so-and-so. And then you go to the other person who hasn't yet got a merit, for instance, or you might come back to someone who you know um, struggled earlier, whatever it might be. So seating plan, tally is the best way to go for that. Fantastic, thank you. Uh, I just wanted to quickly uh, make a mention that this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324. That was JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today happy reading um and now i want to i want to move slightly on here because you've kind of brushed on the topic of of school culture quite a bit and i want to kind of tackle that um but whilst i'm going on it i want to make a quick note so for me personally i've i i've moved into very recently moved into another school in my trust and so um, this school has only recently been taken over by our trust and so the culture isn't quite where it was at the previous school that I was at and um and so I guess my question is I've observed that I think there hasn't quite been a buy-in by all the teachers at this this new school that I've gone to like in Jan um so my question is what role do you think teachers and school leaders play in shaping the culture of a school that's a really good question I think Leadership is hugely important when it comes to setting, establishing, maintaining culture in a school. Um, so I think that for culture is a tricky one because it sounds very abstract, doesn't it? And culture is an easy word to use to describe the things you see. But the word culture doesn't necessarily help you to arrive to that point. Um, and so it requires leaders to have a real clarity about what things should look like in the school, in the classroom. It also requires leaders to have a really clear sense of how they're going to achieve that culture 
and that has to involve there being some cons there has to involve consistency i think consistency is both the hardest thing but also the most necessary thing for a strong culture in a school but achieving consistency if we keep going kind of upstream here to achieve consistency you need everyone to agree in your staff body as to what that excellence looks like and in order for everyone to agree on that consistency you need a shared understanding of what good teaching looks like what good behavior looks like what good behavior management looks like as well so for example i've spoken about holding kids to account if you have lots of teachers who just don't think that ensuring that 100 kids are paying attention 100 of the time in your classroom is desirable or right or ethical or whatever kind of some of the critics have said um then it's going to be very difficult to achieve because the consistency won't be there and if half the staff are not holding kids to account for paying any attention and the other half are the other half are going to find it really difficult because not everyone is rowing together um and in order to, to for that boat to keep moving in that direction you want it to go in all your oars have to be in order and everyone needs to be rowing at the same direction at the same pace um and that requires the leaders at the top to to share their expectations of what things need to look like in the classroom um and then hold staff to account for it as well in 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 the same way that we've talked about accountability more broadly um so i think leaders have an important role there in making sure there's a shared understanding of what that looks like and they give support to the staff to say this is how i want you to implement this this is why it's so important we do this um so that staff buy into that vision um and i think without that it's difficult because without the consistency any if a child can get away with something in one class and then be held to account for it in the other class it's hard to make a habit then whereas what i think at soon we've got to a point the where because staff are on the same page about behavior about teaching and learning we can then do training on something as a new strategy everyone goes away and will faithfully implement it and it's incredible to see um when you go into classrooms the consistency with which routines questioning strategies accountability strategies warmth and culture and praise are all so consistent from classroom to classroom um it's a then it becomes it's, it's a beautiful thing to see because the kids don't think oh i'm going to do this in this classroom but then here i'm going to behave slightly differently they just know and that certainty then reduces any friction or any resentment that might build up in the kids because if a kid thinks oh i'm being held to account and that's not fair sir lets me do this then it becomes much harder and we just don't get that so because the kids know the expectations from all the teachers will be the same so i think that's where leadership becomes vital to ensure that consistency um i i completely by the way agree with what you just said there um having literally just experienced it because at my previous school lots of teachers was on board pretty much every classroom there was there was there was singing from the same hymn sheet um all the teachers so um the kids expected the same experience in every classroom and then when i uh, as i've just moved to this new school um i find that i'm i'm kind of having conflicts with students about very very simple requests that is just that should just be you know if everyone was singing from the same hymn ship hymn hymn sheet it should just be kind of just happen like it's not really it shouldn't really be that major of a problem but where it's not consistent i'm finding that i'm struggling with these type of problems um now 
you've you've mentioned about how uh, leaders should hold their teachers to account. How does in your school how do teachers go about tracking um, teachers and, and holding them to account? That's a really good question. So we have a culture of high frequency, low stakes observations. Um, so we have teachers popping into each other's room all the time. Um, and teachers have actually been at so they have an uh, extra time on their timetables as well, where they're free to go and observe. And it's something that we regularly encourage staff to be doing. Um, and so when we're popping to each other's lessons, we send each other feedback emails. Um, so I might pop into someone's classroom or someone might pop into my classroom and just say, oh, these are things I'm taking away. Really liked this. Oh, look out for this. Um, oh, this kid was fidgeting uh, and they weren't really paying attention and you didn't notice. Look out for them next time. Or, um, I don't know, uh, the routine is meant to be this, but you said this. Just make sure that we're being consistent on the language here next time. Uh, and it's all low stakes. You know, it's just there for you know the teachers to have that that feedback essentially because we're, we're doing so like schools are so complex aren't they and there's so many moving parts to a lesson to a routine um so we do lots of feedback um there to ensure that you know the more feedback you get the more the better calibrated you'll be that is the bottom line isn't it um whereas i think in most schools the feed um, from from speaking to you know when 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 my team tell me about their previous schools they might say I, i'm observed once a term or once a year whereas at sone they're probably observed once a week uh, if not that and that's just from me in my department for instance um I, well, I try to observe once a week um uh, but they'll certainly be getting feedback once or twice or sometimes three times a week and sometimes when staff are new they might be observed every day for the first couple of weeks or nearly every other day uh, for the first couple of weeks so the amount of the sheer amount of feedback just helps calibrate a lot um we again same thing that i talked about with the with setting people up for success before you hold them to account we also have lots of training in place so when new staff join zone, we have one day of inset dedicated just to new staff where we teach them all the routines, they practice all the routines, we give them tons of feedback on the routines. And then we have a, the first few days of inset. After that, we have um, just year seven coming in for a few days and the new staff teach the year sevens. And then we give the, the new staff feedback so that they can, in a, in a lower stakes way than with teaching the older year groups, they get they get they get lots of feedback on the consistency of the routine, the language, the behaviour. Um, so we're really setting staff up to succeed uh, in that regard, um, and that I think is really helpful for them. And then you know, start th those members of staff might meet with their head of department. So the science team and I will meet uh, roughly once a week. And they might come to me with all their feedbacks. So they might say, oh, I got this feedback from you and I got this feedback from this English teacher that came to see me and this other maths teacher came to see me and they said this. Um, and then we discuss what their priority should be in terms of what they should focus on. Or I might just give them some quick bit of advice. We might do a quick bit of practice. Um, and that way we're kind of ensuring that I'm kind of holding my staff to account to make sure they're listening to, responding to all the feedback and they're they're prioritizing it as well because it can be quite overwhelming if you're getting so much feedback to decide what are my two priorities that I'm going to work on this over the next couple of weeks or this week um, and kind of that supports there to make sure they're working on it and the next week after that I'll say have you been doing that how do you think it's been going are you in, are you in a better position I came to see you and this still needs work we've made really good progress here um, 
and so that's the way there's a, there's real dialogue there's real conversation um around it uh to ensure that we are all singing from the hymn sh- same hymn sheet perfect now uh you, you mentioned new teachers you've kind of touched on it a little bit but do you find uh, that new teachers kind of there's a lot of systems and a lot of lot of kind of ideas that they have to learn do you think they struggle with that or or do you think they kind of have a smooth transition into the school? Oh, it is tough. It is very tough because there's so much to be consistent on. There's a lot of unlearning that staff have to do, especially if you've been teaching in un- with different systems, different routines from other schools. But again, that's something we say to staff explicitly. I tell my team it's going to be tough. The first term is going to be very difficult. Um, you know, it's going to you're going to feel like you're underwater um and it's going to feel tough but you just got to keep going you just got to keep on uh speaking to me checking in with me and I'll give you any support you need um but you will get there um and uh I can see some of my staff listening in giving the thumbs up to that um and that it, the, the whole point is it is difficult but that's it's, it's necessary because if you want if we want the standards to be incredibly high it's going to be tough to get there but I think we narrate to our staff quite explicitly that it will be tough at the start, but over time it will get easier, you'll get better, um, and uh, the, it will all be worth it because at the end of the day, the lessons, the culture is so beautiful and there's so much joy that comes out of it. It, it does make all the effort worth it, and I think the teachers feel that as well because they know, they, they look at the classrooms and they think this is incredible, the amount of, uh, of progress there is. Um, and they know they're doing it for the kids, ultimately. Uh, one of my teachers has said to me, it's for the kids. Um, and they recognize that. And because the teachers ultimately have the kids' best interests at heart, uh, they realize, and we all realize that, you know, feeling overwhelmed with all the routines and stuff at the start is worth it because it means the kids get the best opportunities. And then the staff develop loads as well. The, the learning curve is phenomenal, like at, at Sohn. You know, whether teachers are brand new to the profession because we have some trainees, whether they're ECTs, whether they're more experienced staff, the one thing they all say is the learning curve in the first month, uh, first couple of months at Sewn is incredibly steep. So it's tough, but it's also incredibly rewarding because they feel like their practice comes a long way. And that speaks to the power of culture again, the power of routines and the power of, uh, of the leadership in the school and the consistency that we have. Um, now, I have got a question here from, let me see, it's from, I'll, I'll keep pronouncing this wrong, I'm not sure if I pronounced it right, it's Shaq UK, um, it says, what strategy, oh, sorry, no, that wasn't it, it was, what are your thoughts about instructional coaching as a tool for team development? Uh, before I go on to this question, though, I want you to make a quick note myself, because when I first started teaching, I was in a school where I had constant um, and frequent learning visits, so as you mentioned, it was like, um, high frequency, low stake observations. Consistently, I might get like two a week, three a week. But I felt like that actually did make me improve quite fast because the notes that people was telling me um, meant that I can kind of reflect back really well on what I was doing wrong and make sure I was doing like the right things at the right time. Uh, we've now moved on, and this is why this question is quite relevant because we've now moved on to a more um, kind of instructional coaching where we've teamed up with like one or two teachers and I, I get watched, I get sorry, observed by someone and someone else comes and observes me, which I feel like is, is a very good strategy, but it, it isn't 
I feel frequent enough because it means that one person has to now find the time in their timetable to make sure they come reserve me weekly. Um, what are your thoughts? So do you do you use um, instructional coaching? Do you have like a team where you're teaming up with um, teachers and um, or is it just like you, for example, walk into any classroom in your department? Yeah, it's the latter more so. So heads of department will observe their team roughly once a week um, and give them feedback. Um, we don't necessarily limit it to one bit of feedback um, and one action step. Um, I'll often say, depending on how long I observe, if I'm there for five minutes, I might say, here's two things that went well, here's two things to work on. If I'm there for 20 minutes, I might say, here's 10 things that went well and here's eight things that could be fixed. Um, it's just whatever I notice, I will put in that email. Um, and then it's up to the member of staff because what I what I don't want to do with my department is not say something if I've spotted something's wrong. So I think that knowledge is power. But then we have enough trust in our staff to then go away and think about that feedback and think, do you know what? Two of these things are just really quick fixes. One of them is just something I need to look out for a bit more. The other thing is something that I'd completely forgotten, but I'll remember next time. But this one, oh gosh, this one's a bit tricky. I think I need to practice this. And then they, in that one-to-one that staff have with their HODs, they then say, they might talk through that feedback and say, oh, this is the feedback I've received. These are the things I think I, I, I can I can quite easily fix. Or um, and these, this is the one thing I want to focus on loads. Do you think that's right? Is that the right priority? And then we have that discussion. So it's more down to heads of department. Um, uh, the risk of that, of course, is that it can be quite overwhelming to get lots of feedback. Um, uh, and so that that is a, a, a danger there. Um, but I think that's where the conversation with the HOD becomes so important, because you can just say to the team, you can say to the member of staff, OK, this is your priority. The other stuff is something we can fix later on. But let's focus on this over the next couple of lessons, next couple of weeks, depending on what how complex that that action step is. Um the risk of, of doing focusing just giving one bit of feedback per week is that you might then there might be lots of quick little fixes that you then deprive teachers of of, of noticing when you could there can be things they can go away and, and and it might be something that they can digest and they can go away and take um, and some of it might be knowing your staff as well so if you know that um, some of your staff uh, prefer to receive lots of little bits of feedback and some prefer less you can definitely tailor, tailor your approach as well so I think it's, it's important to have that kind of flexibility in the system rather than systematizing it to the level of one action step per week and that's it um, I'm not saying that's what instructional coaching necessarily always is but that's that that can be how I've heard some schools have their model of instructional coaching so I wouldn't really say that we we use I don't know language is, is a funny one isn't it like you could say well, that is basically what we do is instructional coaching but but what I've explained is what is the system that we do so lots of observations the HOD is the filter and the it is the person that that staff will bounce their ideas off about what their next steps should be and what they should focus on Fantastic. It feels like um, in that approach, you really get to know your team really well, like, you know, their strengths, their weaknesses, and you can kind of work off that. So that does sound really fantastic. Um, I want you to move on uh, just to the idea of form time. So um, how can form time be used effectively, do you think, to address individual student needs and concerns? 
Yeah, that's a great question. For I love form time. Form time is probably one of my favorite parts of my day. Um, I love my form. Um, I want to keep my form for as long as I possibly can. Um, so form times, it's an interesting one. So at Sone, we have 10 minutes of form time in the morning, and then we have 30 minutes in the afternoon. And as a school, the thing we've realized more and more is that this is probably the most important time of the day at setting, establishing, reinforcing culture. Um, I think in a, in some schools, I know that when I was at school, for example, form time, you just kind of go in and you just like chat to the people in your form um, and that was it. And then the register gets done. There might be a few notices and that's it. Um, at Sone, it looks very different. Form time is all about culture building. So um, form time is very much a chance for the tutor to forge a sense of team with the group of kids in front of them so the way the school is structured at Sone is that the form will have all their lessons together because they are streamed um and so that class is going to have maths together english together science together history to geogra geography together pe together music art all their subjects they'll have them together as a form and they'll come back to their form tutor so to so the form tutor's primary job is uh well, there's lots of kind of key priorities they have, but one of them is to really build a sense of team, to build a sense of uh, identity around who that who we are as a form, who are, like I've got, my form is called uh, Augustus. So we are eight Augustus. What does that mean to be eight Augustus? Um, and so it's very important for the tutor to get to know each of their individual pupils, uh, to pick up and notice every little thing that's going on with the pupils in their form, um, and to build that sense of team but also to build culture that contributes to the school. So um, that might look like, like I said earlier, if someone's not putting the hand up, I want teachers to, to come to me and say, well, this kid in your form isn't putting the hand up, well, they're not contributing very much. Then I'd go and have a chat with them. And I might say to them, I need to see you. This is your target for this week. I want to come in and you're actually flying up. Should be the first one up. What's stopping you? What's holding you back? Is there anything I can do to help? What support do you need? Um, or is it that they need a bit more accountability? Whatever it is, it's the tutor's job to help figure out how to improve the culture in that group um and so that's where the individual needs come into it is um and the way that might look like in terms of building culture is in the more like one of the first things every tutor does at Sone in the morning is we do an equipment check so the kids come in in silence they lay their equipment out on the desk in a very specific order um, and that just means that in a in a one second glance the form tutor can see whether they have all their equipment and that happens every morning because, again, we want to set our kids up for success so that during the day, there's no reason why there's they can't get on with any of their lessons without any disruption or interruption or also oh, I don't have a pen or I don't have my calculator. None of that happens at Sone ever. And it's just phenomenal uh, because the tutors set the, the forms up to succeed for the day. Um, and that's where the accountability comes into it. So form tutors at the very start of year seven, we give them all the kids a pencil case with everything they need. We say to them, look, you've got everything you need. You must bring this with you every day. It's your responsibility. Responsibility is central to uh, Sone's culture and ethos. Um, we want you to become empowered. You are the masters of your fate. You need to make sure that you are equipped. And that means that every lesson, you're not going to have to worry about whether you've got all your things with you because every night you're going to check your bag. You're going to make sure you put that equipment in. If you forget, you lose a pen, you run out of a pen, whatever, your rubber is lost. What you can do is in the morning before school, at the school gates, we have a school shop. You can grab whatever you need from that. Um, and uh, it's a school shop, so you pay for what you need. 
um, and you can then be ready for your equipment check in the morning. So we've set them up for success. And then in the day of every morning, if they don't have a piece of equipment with them, they get a, a 15 minute detention at the end of the day. But we explain to them, look, I, I care so much about you. I'm going to hold you to account because I know you're capable of being prepared, being organized. It's a very important life skill to have. And I'm going to support you to make sure that you are more organized. And it's phenomenal. I remember at Christmas asking my year seven form last year, I think, what you what are you most proud of? What are your highlights been of your time at Sewn so far? And lots of them have, in fact, every single one of them said that at primary school, they weren't expected to bring their own equipment. Um, it was just they had pots of things. And I guess that's how most primary schools work. They'll have pots of pens and pencils and rulers and things that they need for their various subjects. And a lot of them were surprised at how easy it, it was to just be organized and to and they feel like they've developed their organization skills at Sewn as a result. And they felt proud of the fact that they had become more organized. They'd learned to take responsibility. And so it give, it boosts their self-esteem just by doing that one small thing of checking their equipment every day because they feel like they have control over how their day is going to go in many ways because they've realized they need to check their bag the night before and it's a habit that they've developed. So that's just one example of how a simple system is in place um, to ensure that we're teaching responsibility, we're building the self-esteem, we're building culture, we're spotting any individual issues with the kids. Um, and we're, so, so not only are our standards really high, uh, we're holding them to account, but we're empowering them by teaching them how to be responsible, how to look after themselves and um, set the culture. And so that's what happens in the morning form time. And then after we've done the equipment check, we'll have a few minutes left um, and we might do something where we say, right, what's our focus as a form? And we we give them a specific target and we say, oh, one thing I've noticed is that sometimes when we're, um, we're turning and talking to our partners during turn and talks, some of us are doing more of the work than others. But we are Augustus, we are a team. We need to make sure we're taking in turns. So what we're gonna do now is we're gonna do a quick practice. I'm going to ask you a question and you're going to say your answer. And then the person next to you, you're going to invite the person next to you and say your turn. Make sure they have a chance. Listen carefully to what they say and go turn back again. Let the other person have a go and use all the time your teacher's given you rather than stopping once you're finished. Every second counts. Let's make the turn and talk to the best in the whole school. Are we ready for it? So you're kind of setting them up to improve on something really concrete in the day. And then you get them to practice, for instance. And then you might say, OK, I can't wait to see you again in the afternoon. And I'm going to speak to some of your teachers and see who's been the best at doing turn and talk today. And then you might pop into one of their lessons or you might speak to one of their teachers and you get that feedback. And then you come back in PM form time and you're like, oh, I heard some great things about Omar. Your turn and talk today, Miss So-and-so was saying, was fantastic. Really good. You are being so Augustus. And so what you're doing there is you're reinforcing that culture. You're, 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 you're present. They think you're always, you care enough about them to check in with their teachers. You reinforce what's right. And that's how you kind of build culture. So I think form time is perhaps the most important part of the day at, at kind of starting and ending their day, setting them up for success, at holding them to account, getting them to live the values that you want them to. Um, and I think that the more tutors can develop that culture, the more powerful the school culture will be. Um, just as a, a quick question of that, um, is I, I might have picked this up wrong, I'm not sure. Did you say that all your, your form is always in the same class? If they're in maths and they're in science, they're in English, they're always together, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So um, 
off that question, uh, that's obviously mixed ability setting then. Like, so they're not, they're not set in, let's say, highest achieving students go to the top set and then the lowest achieving students go to the bottom set. Um, is that correct? They're streamed. So we have, it, it is, it's essentially sets, but the sets are the same for all subjects. Does that, does that make sense? Yes. So, so we have a, uh, so we have two top we have two top streams two second streams a third and a fourth support group um and that'll be based on things so the, the support group um would be so we have six six classes in each year group the support group will be the students uh who are perhaps still working on their phonics um and have kind of need the most support with reading uh and then this this the the the, the kind of support group above that it's just more kind of still reading isn't quite strong, but they've passed their phonics checks, things like that. Uh, and then the rest of them is by by their maths and English. Okay, fantastic. I just wanted to double check, um, see see how it was in your school. So I just want to quickly say that this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, uh, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. We um, have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324. That was JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Now, I wanted to quickly uh, ask just one more question on the idea of form times. Uh, my question is, what role does form time play in developing student-teacher relationships? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so relationships are central to, to everything we do at SOAN. Um, the first thing I would say on that is it's easy when you hear about a school like SOAN and we talk about strictness and demerits and all this kind of stuff, about checks for listening and accountability to assume that the school, school, you know, what's the school doing about relationships? But we take every opportunity we can to get to know our kids really well as individuals. Um, we think it's very important uh, to know each pupil. So you'll see form tutors in the morning before lineup, chatting to their form. At break, they'll be chatting to their form. At lunchtime, we have uh, family lunch. So we sit with our form and we, we get to know them. We have um, conversations with them every day. We literally have form teachers will have lunch with their kids every single day, and it's wonderful. Um, and form times can be a time when there's you know quite a lot of it, it, it's a bit it can be a bit less structured than lesson time where you know I might just have a bit of a laugh with my form. Um, I know at Christmas time when we had a, the last day, we we you know in my form we did lots of karaoke, we did a bit of wham, we did a bit of frozen at their request because um, they were loving their lives singing together um and all of those kinds of fun moments are are there uh because as important as the accountability and strictness is so is the warmth the warmth is 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 exceptionally important at building relationships the kids need to see you as both the person who's going to hold the line and not let any um uh any misbehavior disrupt their learning you're not going to accept any nonsense any disrespect at all but at the same time when the teacher um creates the opportunity and the space for it there is a lot of fun um 
you know some other things form tutors might do is you know they might do a, a what we call like a fun register so instead of saying you know when you say the names and they say yes sir or good morning sir they might you might say right today you're going to say your favorite flavor of crisps or whatever or what's your favorite if you could have any pet in the world what would it be and they go you go through the register and it's a bit of fun or it might be that you um you just share a funny moment that happened that day like sharing your highlight of the day and form time in the pm in the afternoon um whatever it might be or you might just share a funny thing that happened at break time that you wanted everyone to know about um and so there's a lot of relationship building that happens through that that way kind of in form time but also individually through conversations so the, the teachers get to know their, their their tutor group really well outside of lessons as well and what that allows is that those relationships then remind the pupils that we care about them as individuals um and we do care about them. We want to, we genuinely, all the teachers do want to know about that. We're very interested in our forms and what's going on in their lives, what their likes, their dislikes are, who's in their family, what pets they have, all this kind of stuff. It's just interesting. If you're a teacher, you, you find this kind of stuff interesting. Um, and forms tutors are in the, in kind of the best place to do that because they, they, they see their forms every day and are with them pretty much a lot of the day during break times. Um, and it means that the kids really understand that the strictness is there because we care about them uh, and it comes from a place of love ultimately. Um, and that's kind of what we think embodies the idea of warm, strict really well. Thank you. That was really well answered. I just have to say like just, just hearing um, from what you're saying, it sounds like the students really enjoy um, being at your school. Um, I have a question from Shane Leaning here and he says, thanks for a brilliant space. Uh, the key to success at your school sounds like culture, culture, culture. Would you say that the uh, that the clear and consistent school culture is more important than teaching and learning approach you use, or vice versa? <laughs> that is um that is a brilliant question. Um, I I like to use the word synergy when I describe this. I think there's huge synergy in the two strands. Um, so, in fact, so my role this year has been I'm assistant principal for teaching and learning, but I've got two strands that I talk about when I'm doing staff trainings. We've got the uh, what I've called winning hearts strand and the winning minds strand. So in the winning minds strand of the pupils, it's all about how do you get them cognitively engaged, how do you get, you know, all hands up, cold calling, turn and talk and questioning and explanations and all this kind of stuff. And then the winning uh, hearts part is all about cultivating your authority, building relationships, your presence in the classroom, your um, how you strike the balance between warm and strict. Um, so I've almost given them equal weighting, as it were. And we discuss and, and it's never the case that you kind of discuss one without discussing the other, really. Because if you're talking about, for instance, all hands up cold calling, that is a technique, a strategy, uh, it's a pedagogical tool, but it comes with the culture of merits, demerits, accountability. I expect more of you because I expect you to pay attention. But I also think it's incredible when you do pay attention, I'm going to reward you for it. I'm going to deliver that with a real sense of authority. But also it's a, it's a strategy. I need to make sure it's, it's a question that everyone can put their hands up for. This is a teaching and learning idea. I want to assess whether or not my kids are participating and uh, paying attention because if they're not paying attention I'm not going to be able to then check for understanding with as much reliability 
So every strategy can be looked at through the lens of both pedagogy and teaching and learning, but also through culture and 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 how you're going to contribute to the culture of the school. Um, and that's very much a conscious and deliberate way in which I plan CPD at the school. Um, and it means that staff do think about teaching and learning as well as culture um, at the same time and understand that they are inextricably linked. Yeah, I do think by the sounds of it, um, the two come hand in hand. So if you ha the, the teaching and learning strategy that you use uh, comes hand in hand with the culture that you've developed at the school. If you didn't have the culture, then you couldn't have the teaching and learning strategies that you did. But if you didn't have the teaching and learning strategies, then it might not, um, the, the culture might not quite be there as well. So it kind of seems like it comes hand in hand. Um, yes. Yeah. So I wanted to ask a question just on one of the teaching and learning strategies that you have discussed. You've said that in your classroom, you use a lot of turn and talk, um, plenty of turn and talk, which I do turn and talk myself. Um, I, I wouldn't say I do plenty of turn and talk in one lesson. It's something that actually I do think um, is is something that I need to personally improve on if I'm looking at myself uh, reflectively. Um, but my question is this, how what strategies do you use to keep to ensure that students are actually focused on the task or the question you've asked them to discuss? So what do you use to make sure that the students aren't discussing something completely random uh, when you've asked them to turn and talk? Yeah, so... In order to understand all about to say, I guess you need to kind of picture what the classroom looks like. Um, so some of you would have seen in that video, but the desks are in rows and the teacher will stand at the front in a position where they can scan the room. So when I say with your partners, go, the first thing I'm doing is my eyes are darting around the entire room and I'm looking to see, does everyone look like they're on task? Uh, is at least one person in each pair talking? Um, and then what you're doing is you're you're scrutin you're looking to see what you can see if someone's off task i feel like you can just see straight away because if they if you ask them a question about photosynthesis and the first thing they're doing when they're both turning and talking is just laughing at each other or some or like they're just giggling about something you kind of know straight away that they are uh that they are they are a bit off task and you can you can listen into the to the first couple of rows you can't quite hear what's going on at the back but then that's where the accountability comes into it. And like I said, we have really high standards at our school. I want to be able to hold my kids to account for if they're making the wrong choice, but equally I want to really praise them if they are making the right choice. So at the end of that turn and talk, if I say three, two, one, hands up, first of all, I'd expect every hand to go up in my classroom because, not because I expect everyone to have a perfect answer ready, but because everyone has just either rehearsed or they've just listened to an, an answer and therefore everyone should be willing and ready to share what it is that they've discussed that's the minimum expectation the minimum standard we all have in our classrooms at SOME and that's why aside from the checks from listening that's another example of where I'd expect 100% of hands to be up so if someone's hand didn't go up at that point I might think hmm, does that mean they weren't talking about the thing that I wanted them to and there needs to be something where I'm holding them to account. Because again, if I don't hold them to account, I'm letting them down. I'm letting them get away with not participating for those 20 seconds. And it might sound like a small amount of time, but every second counts. And if I'm not holding them to account, then like I said, I don't want to be letting them down and letting them get into bad habits of not being focused for that part of the lesson. Um, so that's where I might then bring in that accountability and, and I might pick on them to share their answer. And if they're really saying, oh, 
it becomes quite obvious uh, in my experience when someone just hasn't done what you've asked them to, and then I would give them a demerit in that instance. If it's the case that they simply said, we were actually just really confused, sir, um, then what I'll do is I'll say, okay, I'm going to pause. The, I'll pause the whole class at that point and just explain that if you're ever completely stuck during a turn and talk, it's imperative that once you both realise you don't know what to say, that you put your hand up and you ask me to clarify or ask for help in that moment. Because otherwise you're going to be sat there for 30 seconds, both staring at each other, not doing anything. And again, I don't want you to be the kind of pupils that just sit there and do nothing for 30 seconds. I want you to be the kind of pupils that are taking ownership of your learning and either asking me for help and, and essentially asking me for help in that moment to clarify something so that at least I know you're making an effort to try and do the thing that I've asked you to do. Because ultimately, that's what I'm interested in. Are you participating? Are you putting in the effort to learn? Um, and then I'll, and then I would say to the class in future, if I if I see you kind of not doing anything, and then you have nothing to say at the end of it, then I'll I'll just think either you haven't listened, or you weren't willing to seek out any clarification. And that means that you weren't doing your best to give it 100%. And I cannot accept you not giving me 100%. And therefore, I will give a demerit. So in that instance, I wouldn't give a demerit, but I would say to the class in future, I will. And so again, that over time you build a culture and you make explicit that culture where you set them up for success. I've told them what I expect them to do if they're stuck. I've given them the tools they need to help themselves. And if they still aren't willing to do that, then it's a culture issue. It's, it's, a, it's a choice they've made to not participate. It's a choice they've made to not seek out support when they need it. And therefore I feel justified in holding them to account. And that's how you build accountability. And you also, are raising your standards for all the kids in that class you're expecting more of them and you're ensuring that in future anyone who might maybe someone got away with with secretly talking about something else and i didn't catch them that time but they're gonna see oh what if sir comes to me next time or what if sir expects this of me next time i don't want to be caught out and be in a position where i am ready with a good answer and i've done my best and the culture shifts and then that once they're used to doing that the habit forms and then they won't be the kind of people that that goes off task anyway because the culture has now changed over time. And so that, I think that's a good way of illustrating how with any strategy in the classroom, you can shift the culture. You, you realize something's gone wrong, you give the pupils the support they need, and then you hold them to account for it, and then you set them off again, and you, you, you've given them everything you can, and then you make sure you hold the line, you hold them to account in future. And that's how culture is built over time. And that's how, in this instance, to answer your question, I make sure that during a turn and talk, the pupils will always be on task. I'm just going to butt in there and just say, if you really enjoyed um, today's show, um, then you'll really like our show on Tuesday, the 23rd of January. You can see the link pinned to the top of this space now, um, because we're delighted to be joined by Sam Crome, who's going to be talking about one of the best books of 2023, in our opinion, um, The Power of Teams, how to create and lead thriving school teams. Um, you can set a reminder on the space at the top of this space. Um, and Catherine Taylor is going to be interviewing Sam Crome about the power of teams. So if you've enjoyed this show, you'll enjoy that show as well. Thank you. So I just wanted to say, you know, on the same idea of what you were just saying, 
Um, I was reading a book called Tips for Teachers. It's a fantastic book by Craig Barton. And in that book, it kind of spoke on the same idea. So what he said was, um, when you, let's say I tell a group of students to work in a group, or I've told students to turn a talk, um, I can hold them to account if they haven't done the task that I've asked them to do. Uh, let's say I ask one of them a question and, and, and that they aren't able to answer that question because they actually just wasn't trained. Um, I could hold them to account because, uh, and I can hold them both to account or the group to account, because it's kind of similar to a football team or a team. Like, they're a team at that particular time. And if a football team, you know, did bad and they lost a game, that is completely normal for them to be punished because they've lost a game and they're, they're upset about it. And it's completely normal for you as a teacher to hold students to account uh, when you've asked them as a team or as a group or as a pair to discuss something uh, as a team in a turn and talk and, and it's completely I think it's justified um, to ask them uh, to hold them to account my last thing I want to very quickly ask you just to close this kind of conversation up is you have been quoted in this um, conversation to say don't think wow ask how so my question is this British how can a school go from let's say uh, an environment when they haven't got the culture developed to a school that has developed the culture where they can have all students engaging, having their hands up and ready to answer the question? Oh, that's a, a big question. So I would say kind of under that banner of whenever you notice something in any classroom, if, if, if you're looking to improve the culture of your school, my top tip would be you need to go and seek out where is, there'll always be pockets of excellence going on. Where is there excellence in the school? Where, or, or if you're willing and able to look outside of your own school, go and visit other schools. Um, so we are always open to visitors. You can always come to us um, if you are interested in this specific elements that I've talked about today. Um, look out and think, and, and then ask yourself how. Don't don't say wow and go wow. This is incredible. Aren't you lucky? You've got such amazing kids. Because yes, our kids are amazing, but they they weren't. They didn't arrive to school all willing to participate, all being really polite to each other, all being really kind to each other, all working exceptionally hard, all of them doing all the homework all the time. We have built that culture deliberately, intentionally. So you have to be curious as a teacher or as a leader and dig into that. Why is it that that kid held the door open for me, but in my school, kids don't hold the doors open very often? Why is it that every kid while I was standing on this corridor greeted me with a good morning, miss, or a good morning, sir, Whereas at my school, that doesn't happen. Why is it that at, in Sone, all the all, whenever kids leave a classroom, they say, thank you for that lesson, sir, every single one, without fail, with eye contact, with a smile, and that doesn't really happen in my classroom. And you've got to just not think, gosh, isn't this an amazing school? The kids must be brilliant. You need to ask yourself, what has the school done to cultivate this culture? If it is an individual child that stands out, you think, well, what have the parents done? What have the tutor done? What has the teachers done? What's going on that has led to this child behaving in this way? And it's only when you then see through that lens and you think, okay, there's a reason. There's something's gone on. There's this effect has multiple causes. Let's investigate those causes. Can I now replicate those causes and those mechanisms in my classroom, in my school? So if I see, I mean, I go into other classrooms and I think, oh my gosh, this teacher's got, more their kids hands are going up faster and straighter than in mine or this teach those kids are jumping out of their seats to answer questions in that classroom whereas in mine they're kind of some of them are jumping out of the seats and some of them aren't what do i need to do what are they doing <gasps> okay they seem to be giving a lot more merits than me or oh, then the way that they're praising the kids just comes across with there's so much love in their voice 
Um, have I got that much love in my voice? I wonder. Let me have a think. Let me go and ask them to come and observe me and give me feedback on those two things. Let me ask them, is there anything else you're doing to make sure that your kids are jumping out of their seats to answer your questions? And I guess you need a sense of uh, of humility and a sense of I'm not doing everything right. I need to be able to improve. There's always something I can improve. And asking those questions and think, crit constantly thinking critically about your own practice and about your own things that you're in charge of in your school and thinking, can I make this better? Is there a different way of thinking? Do I need to completely change my lens about something? Um, so an another example might be when it comes to uh, uh, behavior around the school, is it a simple case of just telling the students to say thank you to their teachers after they leave the lesson? And if I tell the kids to do that and remind them of it, will they then get into the habit? And then once they get into the habit, it just it, over time becomes part of their character where they're just the kind of people that say thank you. And actually that's what's going on there, something really simple. Um, is it that I need to do something more widely about the culture of gratitude? Do the kids really understand how much their teachers work hard for them? Maybe that's something we need to make explicit with our kids. Like whenever I give a, a new booklet, a new worksheet to my kids, I always say to them, oh, and um, uh, Miss Lamb in the science department has spent 40 or 50 hours writing this booklet for you. If you see her around, make sure you say thank you to her because she has worked so hard to make this booklet that I'm going to be using to teach your lessons over the next two weeks. But she has worked her socks off in order to create that booklet. She's written it all from scratch. She spent hours on it. And because I've narrated that to them, suddenly the kids aren't taking the booklets for granted. They look after them more. They value them more. They realize how hard their teachers work suddenly the culture of gratitude is that little bit stronger in that classroom. So there's always something that goes on behind the, the, the behavior that you see there. And it's all about, can I unpick what it is? Can I unpick the causes here? And then can I replicate those causes in my own classroom, in my own school? Um, and that curiosity is, I think, the most fundamental thing at, at starting to create and forge a culture that you see elsewhere because there's always behind every culture what is culture culture is just lots of actions how do you get those actions to happen something's gone on to encourage those actions to make those actions explicit to instruct the pupils in carrying out those actions to instruct the staff in carrying out those actions and those will ultimately stem from some sort of value or idea such as gratitude is important um, or to, it's important to encourage kids to take responsibility or you are the authority in the room or it is important that as the authority you create a culture in your classroom and therefore accountability is important therefore you're going to give demerits for these things but you're also going to set them up for success so that's it's about being curious and breaking down that chain of cause and effect and leading it down i guess ultimately to is this something i value in my school and how can i then translate that value into a culture Okay, thank you very much. We've gone slightly over there, but thank you uh, for everyone that's been listening and also thank you uh, for your insights, British. I feel like I've learned so much just from the session. It's been fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. And can I just add that if anyone wants to visit... Then... You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.